straight A, straight O, it's where it's more than just a tag, straight O, what, what's that Roy, what are you doing with all that paint, you're gonna paint me in the nudie nudie, out on the brick wall, you think you're a straight artist or something, oh what, just give me a minute, I'm singing, just a minute, Straight up, ba ba bam 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 Okay, Roy, I'm coming. I'm just getting my kit off. Hello, 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 hello. Living in East London as I do, one of the benefits to being in this part of the capital are the ever-changing works of art that appear temporarily on walls, hoardings, signs, buildings and pretty much any other surface that can enjoy a bit of spray paint added to it. It's the world's biggest art gallery and one of the most exciting galleries of this open-air variety is on my very doorstep and found via the many roads and alleyways of Shoreditch. Through pottering about in my neck of the woods, I've been introduced to the work of Hunto, Stick and Joaquin, amongst many others. And the styles and techniques being employed are distinctive and exciting. Whereas the graffiti tags of yesteryear may once have been seen as a nuisance, the temporary beauty of the work of today's street artists is as captivating as it is ever-changing, and it's quickly becoming a commodity of note. Instead of contacting the local council to get their graffiti removal teams out, it's not uncommon for local residents to protect their new creations with perspex or to chisel away at the walls to keep them forever for themselves. Urban centres around the UK and Europe are enjoying tours of today's vanguard of street artists. And I've been inspired by these acetate-carrying artistic rebels and have become an enthusiast of this, for want of a much better word, movement in a big way. Taking his influence from comics and street signage whilst adding his own subversive twist, the guest on this instalment of the Dookie Radio Show uses stencils, stickers, posters, screen printing, film and photography to bring his own small perfectly formed and highly humorous world to life. His name is Panel. Panel, yes. Oxford, where you hail from originally, is not synonymous with street art, yet you've emerged as one of the most distinctive exponents of this movement in the country. I like this juxtaposition. What inspired you to add your artistic flair to the streets of Oxford? I mean, I can kind of wax lyrical about it, um... To, to you know to a very long extent but uh, i think at the end of the day it's it's that kind of simple pure joy of uh leaving a mark somewhere and um 
and then seeing it again a, a week later, it, I, there's something very kind of visceral and primal about that. That was probably the motivation of why, you know, people uh, in the Lascaux, Lascaux caves um, left their marks. And there's some narrative to that and kind of wanting to tell your story. But for me, at least, uh, it is... Um, it's just leaving a mark somewhere and seeing it again. And then, you know, if that mark interacts with its environment or is funny or kind of relevant somehow, all the better. At what age did you begin? How young were you when you first started slicing up acetates and creating your own stencils? I think I first picked up a can of spray paint um, 12 years ago, over 12 years ago now. Uh, and it wasn't, I think, until two or three years after that I actually put something up on the street, kind of felt confident enough to to put something up on the street um, and kind of felt like I had something worth worth sharing. Street art courses aren't exactly going to be readily available in Oxford or anywhere in the UK. Were you self-taught as a young lad or did any local artists point you in the right direction in terms of what to do and had to go about realising your visions on the, the walls and the street signs of Oxford? Most of the things I do are kind of self-taught. I kind of do a lot of photography and, and film, which now tie into uh, the panel alias. Oxford is not known for its street art. It is known for kind of colleges, um, filming a few scenes of Harry Potter in, uh, Frost or Morse, I can't remember which one. Morse was definitely Oxford. But that, it just goes to show how I'm not really engaged with any, any of those things. Um, and so kind of the scene around here is non-existent. There's a few, um, a few writers and, and taggers that kind of sometimes go on a prolific little spree and cause a lot of damage. There's not a lot of merit to that stuff. It's where street art has come from, and uh, now, and kind of for a while, and I'm sure for the future, there's a lot of friction between street artists and graffiti artists, because uh, writers, kind of people who write their name, um, uh, they often don't get the um, kind of recognition that, that they want that it, is found a lot easier in street art uh, because I think it's a lot more accessible. And so in in Oxford, you get a few a few people like that. But in terms of kind of street art uh, and stencils and imagery and characters and things like that, uh, no one apart from me. And so there was no, there was no inspiration in that in that regard. But I do very much live on the internet. I, I um, enjoy it a lot. So kind of in, inspiration and influencism isn't bound whatsoever by uh, by locality. It, it, it's worldwide, and so I, if my inspiration has come from anywhere, it's um, it's just from the kind of melange of people you you uh, come across online. In a way, you're the Lone Ranger of street art in Oxford. Did the local constabulary ever catch up with you and your kind of guerrilla-like artistic endeavours? When I was younger and maybe not as as careful, uh, yeah, I, I did have um, a few warnings. Luckily, most of them were, were whilst I was putting up stickers and you, you peel them off, plead ignorance and, and carry on and try not to get caught next time. I've not been uh, apprehended in a long time. Um, I used to I used to, in broad daylight, because it's it's no different from nighttime, uh, just uh, spray stencils directly on on surfaces in the street. These days I use stickers, but you would be surprised at how few people give so few... Um, am I allowed to swear? Absolutely, swear away. <laughs> You'd be surprised how few people give so few fucks about when you're spray painting on the street. I mean, obviously it looks illicit and they know you shouldn't be doing it. But at the end of the day, uh, they're just walking along and suddenly there's a blip 
into their life of someone spray painting something, they're not going to rail against it um, or call the police or stop you, with a few exceptions. Uh, and so I found, at least whilst I was uh, spray painting on the street, the best time to do it uh, was kind of in broad daylight, really. You've got, you've got the cover of lots of people, uh, you, you look less suspicious at night, the point is you can do it in broad daylight and get away with it uh, and it's quite easy. I once had a, an old gentleman kind of tut increasingly loudly behind me while I was, I was putting a stencil up. But you how kind of, dare you? How dare you put how this? How dare you to face, <laughs> to face this wall with beautiful street art? Well, you know, it's, it's subjective, but you just carry on and you get it up. You just you try to not think about your environment too much and you just do what you have to do quickly and if you can do it quickly enough then uh, you get away and, and no one really notices you and then you come back and photograph it later for posterity. I love the notion that doing it in broad daylight is actually easier and less of a risk. I suppose um, sometimes being uh, beneath the radar when there are fewer people about does make you sort of seem far more suspicious Absolutely. and uh, the powers that be are going to be a bit more vigilant than if it's just an ordinary day at two in the afternoon on the sunny streets of Oxford. Yeah. Were your parents supportive of your early work? Did they know what you were getting up to and the possible legal issues? They did, uh, and they'd worry a little bit. But... Um... They left me to my own devices. That 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 you know, they're supportive of what I do, um, and that and that's fantastic. And I, I know I wouldn't be where I am now, kind of actually learning a um, a living from it, if if that wasn't there before. I mean, who who knows what the alternative timeline would be? But uh, yeah, they 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 didn't worry. I understand, and this is relevant to the alternative timeline, that you trained to be a graphic designer at one time and worked as one. Yes, yeah. How long did you do that for and what type of graphic design did you specialise in? I did uh, kind of logos, uh, website design, but not actually coding the websites, kind of laying them out. Uh, general kind of uh, layout of print work and, and posters and things. And I was doing that kind of during my degree course and then uh, for maybe half a year, year afterwards that um, I graduated. From a timeline point of view, when were you able to make your leap from a day job paying your bills to being able to make a living from your creative pursuits, which um, is the ultimate dream? Yeah, well, it is. It, it's fantastic. And there is a, there's a constant and looming fear that uh, it will all suddenly stop, that um, the ideas will go and they will never come back and I will have used up every good idea in my head and people will lose interest. And, and so, yeah, it, I'm, I'm definitely um, thankful for what I do. How long did the transition take to becoming a full-time artist? That was, I think it's three or three and a half years ago now. I had some savings and I gave myself six months and there was a, there was a kind of financial target at the end of those six months. Um, and then four months into that, of being full-time and uh, pretending I, I had enough work in the day to actually keep me busy. Um, uh, I Soon after four months, I managed to get a uh, solo show. Uh, someone invited me to do a solo show at a gallery in uh, Notting Hill in London. Um, and so that was for the... Uh, that, was, that was going to be in, I think, seven or eight months' time, so that immediately extended my deadline to um, kind of completing the show and, and seeing how it went. Uh, and fortunately, um, it was my first solo show, <clears throat> and um, it went it went really well. Uh, learned a lot of things. Um, I've got a friend, 
who uh, popped in whilst I was installing the show with Mrs. Panel, uh, who's also now been full-time with me for just over a year. Uh, and he popped in, and, and I, was, I was just complaining about the just how difficult the show was. Because we were, um, for the show, <clears throat> much like my second show, we were painting a city onto the... the um, gallery walls and it was a fully sprawling city it had uh, residential flats shops parks uh, even an underground and i think even a, a little coastline with a beach and sand and so forth um and we painted that directly onto the gallery walls rather than uh painting all the work beforehand in the studio and bringing it to the gallery as you do with you know nearly every single art show we painted this uh a week before the show opened and it was it was a nightmare we didn't get all of it done unfortunately um, we painted most of it and the launch was good but whilst we were installing it a, a friend came in who was also an artist and he just said your first your first solo show it is never for you it's it's for other people and um, that makes perfect sense this the second show I was able to enjoy a lot more I was able to plan better uh, and able to kind of stop at times and just appreciate it but the first show was was a tired uh fumey blur and this tired blur took place at london west bank gallery in ladbrook grove near notting hill yeah london west bank, west bank gallery and how long did you sleep for after that was done because that sounds like the the most stressful nerve-wracking undertaking but also quite novel the idea that you turn the art gallery space into your blank canvas is perfect for what you're doing and also incredibly from a, a timeline point of view i mean you're no doubt that that's about as stressful as it can get were you able to work throughout the night at the facilities oh yeah we um we uh, we stayed there uh we actually slept in the gallery um during installation so we were effectively there 24 7 we had to sleep at some points and i think we were getting sleep of maybe four or five hours each night but we would we would finish work at i don't know 3 a.m and then get up at 7 or 8 a.m you know have a bit of food and then carry on straight through uh for however many for however many hours that leaves um it, we you know we cut all the stencils beforehand and we brought them with us i think there must have been well, I can't remember now because it was a few years back, but easily hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of uh, stencil layers. Um, and I'd, we didn't organise them very well the first time round. Uh, and so you, we, wasted, we did waste a lot of time trying to find the right stencils because the thing is I cut them out of acetate and acetate is a clear plastic that you typically print uh, overhead projector films on and it's, it's fantastic for spray painting it's not ideal when you're trying to find it on a floor and it's essentially transparent <laughs> no um but we, we were working non-stop um yeah just whenever we could so it's june 2014 you're in london it's your first solo show all this effort went into it you're at the west paint gallery how long was it in situ for well, that's that's the kicker uh we spent uh I, th I think we actually spent uh five days 
painting it and God knows how many months beforehand drawing it and cutting it and preparing everything. There was a first floor where we painted the city onto the um, walls and then there was a first floor where there are kind of actual uh, pieces um, on canvas and, and signs that you could buy. Um, but then the show itself was only up for a week and so you, you have all this time spent on it and it was only up for a week. And it, I mean, to be honest, that ties into um, the work that I do on the street and whilst art in a gallery is never going to be street art because it's never in a street, um, it was painted over and it was transient and it wasn't forever. I mean, there's the idea of galleries having white pristine walls and this idea of uh, immortality. You you paint a work, you, it's then hung up uh, laboriously, it's kind of cared for, perfect light, perfect uh, humidity levels and things like that. And so much art is, is viewed... Um, uh, with the purpose of making it immortal and forever, you know, how much care they take with the Mona Lisa or any other famous work. And so street art is, in some sense, diametrically opposed to that. Um, and it's it's about often putting a lot of work into something that may only last an hour. Um, it's It certainly won't last forever. It won't be conserved. It's in direct sunlight. And so it was nice to bring that uh, kind of concept, that... that um, that quality to uh, the gallery, and so people people came up to me during the show, and they would say, "Well, what's what's happening to this afterwards? Are they are they taking the walls out?" And no, they're not taking the walls out; they're just painting over it. Um, for the first show, though, we did have a nice uh, little idea where people were able to walk around with cardboard frames, with uh, it was just a hole in the middle, and then you had a cardboard uh, frame, and you uh, the visitors were able to hold it up against certain parts of the painted city uh, and they were able to buy it so you'd you'd have a small cardboard frame and you could buy a small part and that would be a certain amount uh, of money and then you'd have larger ones and you could buy bigger parts um, and so th there was the idea that people could at least take away a part of it and get uh, an original section of the city and then the original city was painted over and then all that was left of the show were photos and then these little, little kind of excerpts of the city. Although you clearly respect the temporary nature of much of your art, temporary beauty as it were, it must have been painful to see your first solo show painted over. Did you have to destroy it yourself by painting it over? Did you no. see that take place? Uh, no, I didn't see that take place. I was... Uh in deep, deep uh, hibernation after the show. Uh, they, they, paint, they painted over it, um, fortunately. Uh, one, because it's a lot of work. Uh, I think it was 35 or 40 metres of, of wall. Uh, two, because it would be a little bit soul-destroying to, to spend so much time on work and then have to uh, buff it, have to paint over it. Um, yeah, and three, I was just sleeping a lot. Um, you work in many different uh, disciplines and formats, from the acetate-realised street art, which ends up being placed in different areas in the urban landscape, to canvas, to prints, film, and even street signs made in metal. Do you have uh, any preferences for what you enjoy working with? If we're talking about everything as a whole uh, and, and where I like to spend my time the most... Um, it's on the street. I mean, I love putting pieces on the street because uh, you, you're able to interact with these environments that already exist, that are, that are kind of intricate. And, uh, you know, I would never 
in, a, in a kind of studio piece by a, a, an electric box or have an electric box that has a certain dent in it that I could then use in a piece that kind of, well, I could, but it would be very expensive and very time consuming. Whereas I can walk on the street, find these very interesting spaces and uh, go back go back home and kind of draw something and then paint it and, and then put it up in situ. Um, if we're talking about studio work, canvases are nice. They're kind of always very clean and they're light and easy to ship. Um, but at the other end of the scale, you've got, um, I, I'm quite fond of um, spray painting on uh, these kind of concrete slabs that I cast. I create a kind of uh, mold, pour in some uh, ready-mixed concrete and uh, let it set. And then it's this beautiful kind of rough surface that at least uh, harks back to the street and you can paint st stuff on it and you can actually, unlike a canvas or or paper or even a kind of slim aluminium metal sign, you can manipulate the surface. So there was a triptych that I did. The first scene was a man spray painting uh, something on the on the street. Uh, and so he's just spray painting something in the middle of the concrete slab and then he's, he's running away. Then the second uh, shot is a uh, certain enterprising man chiseling away at the um, at the surrounding area. He's chiseling it away with a hammer, and this is spray painted on. But the actual chisel line around what the um, guy the chisel line is actually kind of chiseled out of the concrete. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. It's kind of actually getting deep, and um, uh, it's got, there's got some depth to it. And then in the third piece. Um, which is again a third, a third separate concrete slab. Um, uh, the piece is gone, and there's there's uh, I think a news reporter with a kind of microphone, and then there's a cameraman. And so it it it, it was just referencing what happens with so much street art, and particularly Banksy. He he'll put a piece up on the street, and it'll be up for a day or two, and then whoever's property it is will will cover it. With perspex or wooden boards, and then and then try to pry it off when they've worked out how they can do that. And so it was just a nice little piece that, because it was concrete, I was able to physically remove something from it rather than um, not paint it. You mentioned a certain famous Bristolian artist there. Similar to him, you maintain an element of anonymity. Yet impressively, you're incredibly approachable through social media. In fact, you even solicit suggestions via your Facebook followers for new works through Wildcard Wednesdays. Yes. It's a really Im impressive balance. Street art, obviously, through its subversive nature, tends to mean that you don't necessarily know the face of the of the artist. And when the Dookie Radio Show were were sort of undertaking research on your good self, we could find only a few photos. One which was Zora-like of yourself, in that you were sporting a protective mask, and we could find only one other photo of you, and that was taken from the neck down. You were sporting a hoodie with three years' worth of paint on it. Is this something that you've done consciously? That's certainly from a kind of more cynical and um, kind of uh, financial perspective. There's that allure of um, of the mysterious man. I mean, th that's not why I do it. I mean, um, I, it's just a case of I put, I still put work up on the street. They're not always um, kind of uh, uh, murals with permission or anything like that. Uh, I mean, most of the work I put up is, is spray painted stickers. And so it's very easy to remove. I'm not exactly public enemy number one, 
but I do like having the freedom and, and, and knowing that the fact that my face isn't kind of flowing around on the internet um, gives me a f freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want, whilst minimizing kind of risk and things like that. Um, and at the same time, there is, um, there's, there's, there's the aspect, uh, aspect of uh, art being about the art and not so much about the personality behind it. Whilst there's, there's merit to um, knowing about the artist and often uh, art uh, is, a, is a portrait, is a, is a kind of biography of an artist. Um, and there is aspects of that in my work, kind of there's a sense of humour and simplicity. It's that I, I like to keep it about, about the artwork really uh, and not me. I'm not interested in that. I, I'm at heart an introvert um, and so that's perhaps why I like uh, painting these little figures for the most part, you know, with the exception of Mrs. Panel on my own. I, li I like just tinkering away at home, going out into the street and putting things up um, and so and so that's that's why you probably had a hard time finding any any kind of full photos of, of me. It creates mystery, but it's also juxtaposed against the fact that through your Facebook presence, you're incredibly engaging with your fans and followers. And it's a delicate balance, but a very effective dynamic. Back to the work. Dogs, cats and birds appear regularly in panel pieces. Did you grow up with many pets? The reason why I ask is you often reference animals in a way that's highly perceptive of their personality traits in your descriptions. Mm. Uh, well, we actually, funnily enough, had uh, rats as pets when we were younger. My mum was allergic to cat fur, um, so we had rats, uh, which don't actually pop up, although in a certain Bristolian's work, they do. You're right about um, that. And uh, then later on, she got a hairless cat, actually, a, a kind of a, a hairless cat, and so that mitigated her her allergies but apart from that uh we haven't had any dogs I, my mum had birds when she was younger but not 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 when i was alive um yeah i mean I've, i paint dogs cats and birds because they are the <clears throat> excuse me they're, they are they're the animals that you find on the street and so it's it's natural to, to paint them in those situations in again admittedly much smaller at a much smaller scale um but they're, they're commonplace of that environment and so oft, a lot of my work whilst it's kind of obviously painted on a sticker it's not realistic it's it's very geometric and abstract and they're and they're tiny and you'd never mistake them for a person a lot of, a lot of people do um art and paste-ups or even just paintings uh, directly onto the wall that are very realistic and sometimes they can catch you off guard or even uh, there's an artist called I think Mark Jenkins and he will create these uh, figures made out of um, increasingly increasing layers of uh, sellotape that he's wrapped around himself then cut off sealed back up and he's basically got this sellotape mannequin made and then he'll dress him up and install him on in the street which is fantastic you should really check his work uh check his work out it's mark jenkins mark jenkins yes, yes. that sounds brilliant my, my <laughs> way is. that's and a i'm on it i understand through your website that you're planning on relocating to britain's second largest city birmingham has this been prompted by the need for a, a larger urban concrete blank canvas to play with uh, I well, I mean, every time I need to for uh, Wildcard Wednesday, I need to put up a sticker. It's getting increasingly 
uh, harder to find find kind of interesting spots. I mean, I always do, and there's always spaces to go to. <clears throat> but no, the, the the decision to go to Birmingham was that, well, at the very least, we didn't want to move to a city that was smaller than Oxford. And so I think, short of moving to London, we've done the best we could. <clears throat> um, but no, I mean, a lot of my work, uh, it's not... My success hasn't come from the fact that I'm in Oxford. It, it's um, come from the internet. It's come from... Well, it's also come from um, kind of working consistently day in, day out. Um, but it, being in Birmingham, whilst it's a, it's, it's, it actually does have a very active uh, graffiti and street art scene, and it's busy, it's a, it's a massive city, and it's, um, it certainly dwarfs Oxford in a lot of uh, senses. Um, also, we decided to move there because we could afford there, because Oxford, because it's within commuting distance of London, may as well have London prices. <clears throat> and so we were buying our first house. Sorry, just take a drink. <clears throat> uh, so we were buying our first house and whilst I make a good living as an artist um, you know it, it's not it's not on the level of uh, the likes of Shepherd Ferry or Banksy of course and so um, we still wanted to be as close to family and friends in Oxford as possible so we, we picked Birmingham because it's a uh, it, 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 it's a beautiful city and it's it's close to Oxford and we found a lovely house there so <laughs> that that's why why Birmingham when you're working at your studio do you do it in silence or do you require music or any audio based distractions to keep you going basically what do you listen to when you're creating uh yeah no i i, I listen to music constantly basically from the moment uh i get up until um i go to bed there's generally music playing and th the fact that there's no music playing right now it is um abnormal i mean i listen to a lot of uh, instrumental things and ambient things so you have uh, bands like uh, taiko or um zero seven i like fatboy slim um i also like kind of rock stuff so queens of the stone age biffy clyro anything really i mean it, it, it's quite varied um but anything with a nice beat um that just helps you kind of uh pootle along and and um and make work. The turnaround times for your work seem to vary considerably from the immediacy of those wildcard Wednesday inspired street art stencils that are produced almost as quickly as the suggestions come in. You've also taken a long-term view with some of your productions. The History of Us, for instance, detailing the human race's development since the year Dot took, and I take this from a blurb from your good self, took two years preparation, 1,107 stencil layers, blimey, and nine days of furious painting. That's bloody intense. Do your weekly wildcard Wednesdays, do they prevent yourself from getting cabin fever while working on longer term projects? Definitely. I mean, whilst it is a passion and a hobby, uh, it is also a profession. And so it, the allure of spending all your time in the studio producing <clears throat> prints and canvases is... Um, it's all too easy because, and certainly now I've got a mortgage, you do want to make money. I mean, you want to make money so you can continue doing what you love, but sometimes you need to make money just to, to survive. And so having a wildcard Wednesday where people suggest random words or phrases, and then I pick out one uh, that I like the look of and use it as a starting point inspiration as uh, for a sticker that then ends up on the uh, street and is 
is shared online uh, come Wednesday. Uh, that's uh, uh, the perfect way to force me to at least uh, put something up on the street, go outside and and do something that it, it just exists for its own merit, um, not for any any kind of monetary gains, which, it, like I say, can be can be easy to do. So it, it's it's gone me back into that because before I was doing Wildcard Wednesday um, for a year or even two, it was just very easy to spend all your time in the studio. Any projects of a similar scale to History of Us planned in the pipeline? Uh, not at the moment. Um, I feel like I've just recovered from uh, a History of Us, which was now, I think, well, I opened last June, and then it was on for three and a half months, which was an improvement on the London West Bank show, which was up for a week. Um, from, so, uh, from famine to feast. Was that at uh, Herbert Gallery in Coventry? Yes, it was, yeah. That show at Herbert Gallery, did that make you consider the Midlands as being a new home for yourself? Because obviously Coventry's not that far away from Birmingham. Did it yeah. uh, open your, your eyes to other urban centres not that far away from Oxford? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've now got a lot of friends that uh, are either in Birmingham or Coventry um, from the museum, and that that certainly helped make make our, our move to Birmingham a lot easier. And, and of course, a lot of people fr from from the Midlands kind of went to the show and I think they had I'm trying to remember now I think 50,000 people came and saw the show um, so that, that's an incredible amount and there was a guest book there uh, and for the most part there were nice comments uh, and people would put down their, their kind of hometowns or cities and, and a lot of them were from Birmingham and um, uh, Coventry and so that, that's a nice part of it uh, and certainly yeah it made us aware that um, we could live elsewhere originally we were going to look at um, Nottingham because that was uh, in our price range and then we thought Liverpool and then we kind of came closer down south and uh, Birmingham uh, ended up being where we, we ended up living. One of your series of prints is called High Steam, in which one of your classic panel stick figure-like characters is depicted stealing a range of iconic paintings from a gallery, a Da Vinci and a Warhol come to mind. Now, would you be willing to do a similar one for me, but with a difference? I want to have the thief taking a panel original for me instead of one of those other <laughs> non-entities. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, um, people will come to me and they'll, they'll email me or they'll get in touch via social media and they will have an idea and um, kind of they love my work and they have an idea and whilst they can't uh, make it happen themselves it's a nice opportunity to collaborate and um, uh, come up with a piece and often these these commissions are uh, they kind of cover topics that I wouldn't normally uh, broach like for example there was uh, last year uh, there was a manager at I'm trying to remember the name, but there's some some uh, Madison Square Gardens. Madison Square Gardens in New York is a massive venue, and I think they have basketball there and, and shows. And he's a manager, and he 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 loves his work a lot, and he loves there's a distinctive kind of dome roof inside, convex dome roof, uh, and he wanted a painting of of the inside uh, of the venue uh, from the stage looking out towards a crowd, and there's a there's a rock band on stage. This was a quite big piece, and there were perhaps, I don't know, 100, 150 different uh, characters on there, some more distinct than others. But it, it's something I wouldn't have painted um, of my own volition because it was, well, it, it had no relevance to me. But the fact that there it, it was a manager of Madison Square Gardens coming to me and, and wanting something like this it certainly made it more engaging. And then you, you have a... Uh, um, uh, 
you have a deadline in place, you know, backed up by a customer waiting for their painting. Um, and so it, it does make you work on things that are unusual. So I'm, I'm always open to, um, to commission. So I'd love to hear your idea. And then, of course, if anyone's listening to this and, you know, they check out the website, then there's, there's a contact page there. And, and, you know, they're very welcome to um, let, me know, let, let me know their ideas. No, no idea is too silly. I mean, it, it often, you know, develops between... Uh, me and, and the client, um, and it, it normally turns out very interesting. Any exhibitions in the pipeline where listeners may be able to see your work in the canvas or on the paper or even on some metal? I mean, the best place is always the street. Uh, that's that's the biggest gallery in the world. Um, but uh, no, there's there's no exhibitions coming up that I can think of. I mean, I think there's I think there's a group show in New York that I'm a part of that I'll be sending something towards. That incidentally will be on on uh, concrete at least i'm thinking right now whilst the shipping costs will be a lot um it'll be worth it so i mean i i don't know how many of your listeners are in new york but I, i'm just bringing up the details uh, gallery protege and it they're on uh, 197th avenue lower level uh, and that's in new york and the zip codes uh, one zero zero one one, and I think their their website is gal uh, gallery protege, but it's gallery spelled the French way, so it's G A L E R I E, and then protege. Uh, yeah, that's also a bit of a French word, but I'm sure you know how to spell it. Indeed, we have intelligent listeners who yes, can spell yes. well. And for people to find out more about your good self, your website is www dot panel, uh, and and that's p a h n l dot co. Dot UK. And talking of your website, how important is it to your living as an artist? Most of my sales just come from online. I, I don't really rely on, um, on, on galleries uh, to make a living. The vast majority of it comes from uh, sales from my store and commissions. Uh, and in the past year, we've been uh, screen printing. Um, screen printing uh, for other artists as well so that's where a lot of the money comes from um but much like uh, street art doesn't rely on on the acceptance of a gallery to for you to show your work um my living as well doesn't doesn't for the most part come from galleries and so so whilst it'd be fantastic in in a commercial sense to get the um attention of someone like Saatchi, um I do quite well without it, actually, to be honest. It's not, you know, like you, it's, it's nice to have that uh, freedom uh, um, to do what you want, whilst you always are, are, are considering uh, what's going to be entertaining and interesting. At the heart of it, it's what's interesting to you, and then hopefully um, people find you and, and, you know, and pay attention and stick with you over, you know, three, four, ten years or whatever. The DIY ethos that's been made possible through the internet has brought the cottage industry back again. I think it's fantastic that people can thrive. Artists like yourself can sell their wares to people who normally would not be exposed to it. And that's a, a rare thing. I think, you know, 10 years ago, I, I could not have fathomed that. I would have uh, assumed that it would be a gallery or nout situation. The people who are able to sustain themselves are able to do it because there aren't commissions and middle people involved. It's early 2016 when we're having this conversation. It is an exciting time. And the, the fact that you're doing that, you're getting commissions in yeah, Madison Square Garden, it means that the, the internet is, is more than just a, <laughs> a portal for porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a portal for fantastic art. And, well, uh, for now at least, it, it, the, the freedom of, of, of the internet is... is dwindling a little bit if you pay attention to it. 
Yes, there is that. I'm trying to keep the glass half full in my own head, though, but I know what you mean. I mean, certainly I know in the, the America's internet streaming radio, for instance, has been affected in, in a big way through rules and regulations. So, yes, even the world of the podcast may be threatened. Hopefully not soon, but it's all political. And talking of politics... Recently, another British street artist of note, Ben Nine, was in the news for being solicited by our Prime Minister David Cameron to provide some of his work with a view to it being given as a gift to President Obama. No doubt as a, a token of appreciation from Britain. Now, I'm not going to get into political affiliations, but just merely the, the notion of a standalone artist and two major political figures. If you were asked to do the same thing by the same government, how would you have approached it, if at all? Well, I, th- I think in Benign's case, I'm not sure he was necessarily... I don't think he specifically made a piece for Cameron to give to uh, Obama. I think they might have picked up a piece. I might be wrong about that. I'm not entirely sure. I, I mean, I, I remember... I remember reading the article when it happened, um, and either way, yeah, Cameron gave a painting to Obama. If if I was approached uh, the same way, I mean, I don't know. I, my my art is not very um, political. It rarely is. I think there was a Wild Card Wednesday a month or two back, and someone suggested uh, refugees, and this was, uh, I think, a week or so after the photo of the. Uh, dead boy washed up on the beach um, when when that kind of uh, became widespread and so someone suggested that and and obviously the photos of the the refugee crisis and Syrians and so forth um, it, it it did affect me I, I don't know why it's so easy for a lot of this stuff to wash over you and that it's distant and it's isolated elsewhere uh, for some reason it got to me and so whilst my work isn't political often um, I painted a small family, a dad and mum, and a uh, a kid, uh, all wearing... Well, the kid was wearing a life jacket, and then they're in this uh, big kind of rubber, rubber dinghy kind of motoring along uh, on the sea, and the sea was, was a kind of nice um, aqua blue uh, electric box. So I painted that. I don't know what I'd do if it was, if it was a piece being given between Cameron and Obama. Um, it, it's... You see a lot of stencil artists these days who are just beginning, um, and they wheel out the same um, trite. What is that the right word? Well, they 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 wheel out the same kind of easy, easy, easily criticised symbols and things like that. And there's a Nike tick, but it's bleeding, or McDonald's McDonald's logo, and it's dropping bombs. And it it I I've had this argument with people um, online before, not so much argument discussion. Um, but it's um, well. I, I'm at least in the camp that art art does not change the world. Uh, it's that art changes when the world does. And so I don't think whatever I was to paint in this theoretical situation, it would it would really do anything. I'd probably go down the humor route. But I I just don't think anything anything you could paint or come up with would have any meaningful impact on these on, on on these world leaders on such a you know on, on the world stage um so I, i'd go with something funny probably maybe poking fun at uh, independence day and um kind of them becoming independent <laughs> <laughs> i like that if you were asked to do it you would consider doing it but on your own terms um 
Yes. Yeah, I'd do that. I mean, I, I wouldn't make it political, and it, it would be an interesting opportunity to try something different. I, I like when when I put a piece up on the street for it to, to reflect the environment, to have some sort of uh, interaction there. So I'd probably look further into their relationship uh, between Obama and Cameron, maybe pick out a funny moment. I know there was, I think, a time when, uh, in the past year or two, Obama uh, came and you know had an official visit to the UK and there's there's this little video segment I remember of Obama and Cameron uh, they're on one side of a ping pong table and they're playing against uh, a couple of school children and Obama in his charismatic suave fashion as we're all familiar with and you know will soon be out of the spotlight in I believe a year or two you know in his typical fashion he was you know suave and hitting the ball fantastically and scoring points and you just had David Cameron who I guess at the end of the day was perfectly representing uh, so many British English people he was trying very hard and just completely messing up every single shot. And so I might, you know, I, I might do a, a ping pong painting of, of that moment. <laughs> I really wish that you had been asked because that sounds fantastic. Cameron ping pong, a new sport for the new society. <laughs> Panel, it has been a slice of street art loving goodness having you here on the Dukey Radio Show. Now go off and emblazon Britain's streets and walls with your work. Perfect. Thank you, Juki. Cheers. Well, there you have it. Panel has managed to carve his own creative niche and expanded his work without deviating from his true passion and inspiration, the street and street art. You've been listening to our interview with Panel. My name is Juki and I've been your host. May the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. Facebook. Click on your mouse to our Facebook page. To find it will not take an age. Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash The Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show. The thin white Dukey is right. Click your way to the Dukey Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com forward slash The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show We'll be ending the show with a tribute mashup in keeping with the Lemmy, David Bowie and John Bradbury mashup that kicked off the last Dukey Radio Show featuring our interview with Nathan Pennington our tribute today celebrates the lives of Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire and Terry Wogan. There's also an appearance from Glenn Frey. Or is it Glenn Fry? It's spelled one way, pronounced the other. Anyway, in this mix, Glenn reveals elements of his true personality. Three more songs, asshole. Three more songs, asshole. 
then. This is the day I've been dreading. The inevitable morning when you and I come to the parting of the ways. So, I'm going to miss you. Till we're together again. Thank you. Thank you for being my friend. <laughs>